Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Other Side NDE, where we talk about the fascinating phenomena of near-death experiences. These are more than just close calls. These are first-hand accounts of what people experienced dying, leaving the body, exploring another realm, and then returning to their body in order to share that experience with you. Every person that we interview and many of us listeners believe these accounts to be undeniably true experiences people had on the other side. If you enjoy listening to stories like these, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Other Side NDE, where we post two to three videos every week of people sharing their NDE stories. Hi, everyone. My name is Bill Letson. I'm a retired firefighter. I live on the central coast of California, and I had a near-death experience in 1994 when I was on duty, and it was very profound. I couldn't really talk about it. Back in those days, I didn't have any place to look for answers. Couldn't even begin. So I kept it quiet for 15, 16 years, and when I retired, it came roaring back, and I went looking for answers, and That goes into a whole other story with ancient knowledge and how the shamans and the Native Americans really didn't pick up on the whole story with the history and religion and science that we've all heard the last several hundred years. They still think they're magical children in a wonderful playland. And so that's where it'll lead. But I'll start off with my near-death experience in 1994. And I'm in my late 60s now. I was in my late 30s then. And I think, yeah, 94. And so I was on duty. I worked at a station, Station 11. It was a paramedic engine down in Goleta. And there was a flu epidemic going on in the Santa Barbara area. And all the emergency rooms were full of people suffering. And we were running calls, just like COVID, you know, EMS, public safety. They're still out there doing their thing. And so we came across this lady who was cooped up in her room. It was a medical emergency. She was cooped up in her room and all the drapes were shut and she was suffering horribly. And so we, myself, paramedic, just sprung into action. And I climbed across her to get a mask on her. And just as I was getting it adjusted, she exhaled and I inhaled and I felt it go right in. And so after a couple of days, I was super ill, like I've never been before. And it got so ill that I needed an ambulance. And I remember I got out of bed and it was doing this dehydration thing where, you know, you're throwing up and it's going the other way and you're just running out of 
fluids in your body. And I remember I looked in the mirror and I looked super gaunt, like a skeleton. I was dark and I said, well, something's wrong here. And my heart rate was just racing, it was like 150. And I felt my pulse in my radio pulse, you know, down by your wrist, and I couldn't get a pulse. So I knew my blood pressure was below 80. The systolic was below 80. And so I called my family, my niece dialed 911 and Santa Barbara County Fire came, picked me up, started a couple of IVs, took me in code three to an ambulance to a hospital in Santa Maria. And I went into a place that was full of people with the same type of symptoms. The doctor who was in charge, he was just prescribing everybody. He was giving them something for the pain, which was a morphine type thing, and something for nausea. And I was there for I don't, about half an hour and you know the IVs they put a couple of bags in me and I was like you know what I think I can go home and we'll just take it from there we'll start some kind of treatment and the nurse came in and said nope these are orders everyone in here is getting the same thing and me being a good sport I said sure all right and I was sitting up ready to go home and she pushed the new bane which is a, a morphine synthetic morphine and the other thing for nausea and I didn't have any, neither one of those things were bothering me, nausea or severe pain. But anyway, my wife said she pushed it all in at once and your eyes rolled back. It was like watching a cartoon. Your eyes rolled back and you fell straight back on the bed that you were climbing out of. And that kind of freaked them out. And everybody came in and she said they Narcan'd you. And Narcan is what you know paramedics use for addicts, people with opiate overdoses because it wipes out the opiates, like instantly, as soon as it hits your system. And she said they Narcan'd you a couple of times, they started more IVs and they put you in the head down, Trendelenburg position, and you were gone. And they couldn't get a blood pressure. It was, you know, you were down 40 over zero. And they put you up in intensive care and I spent the night there. And I don't, I mean, I never woke up and they kind of set me aside and they said the really in the morning they said the only reason you probably survived was I was a triathlete I was doing Ironmans and stuff so I had this tremendous system for perfusing oxygen so nothing was really getting completely shut down so during the, that night my system you know what the Nubane did what the morphine did was it vasodilated my whole system so I had a vessel and it's full of liquid, it's full of fluid. And suddenly all the vessel walls got huge, got really big. So the fluid that was left, you know, became not enough to really get any circulation, any perfusion. So long story short, I went into the emergency room pretty much on my knees medically. And, you know, some of the things I got just was a knockout punch and floored me. So during that night, I was, like I said, I never regained consciousness. But somewhere in the middle of the night, one o'clock in the morning, 1.30, something like that, I left my body. And I think what, what happens with the body is that it gets to a point where the spirit will awaken and say, this container can't support me anymore. And the spirit flies. And, you know, I think a lot of cultures have figured this out with the static dance and the Native Americans do the thing with vision quest where they don't eat for days and they sit in the jungle and you stress the body to where you do have an experience because the spirit's saying, I'm 
time to go. So I left my body and it was the most amazing feeling. It was like I'd been let out of a hot, stuffy closet and I was released into this world of, I call them stars. There were these giant colored stars all around me and I was flying through them and they were so welcoming and they were so loving. And you know, people call these, these things like orbs and stuff, you know, what we really appear as is sort of these energetic beings. And I was this huge expanded cloud of some sort. It was ridiculous how good it felt. And I heard recently that Ram Dass said, death is like taking off a tight shoe. And that absolutely felt like, it's like I'm never going back into that container, into that tube. So I'm flying along and just feeling ecstatic, like some sort of cosmic orgasm. It was just flowing through me and like somebody was pouring honey all over my brain and it was running down through all my nerves and everything was just alive and exhilarating. And as I, I flew along, I said, man, what was that? That life I led as this guy, Bill Letson, man, what was that? That was rough. That was tough duty. And my life has not been rough at all. But, you know, we're saddled with these with these parts that come with this life. And it's all emotions. It's all feelings driven. And it's a really heavy people. It's a real challenge to come here into this place, into these, into this world. So I'm flying along and it's like, what was that? And it's like, I was like shaking my head saying, how in the world did I forget who I really was? How is that possible that I was convinced that I was this person and that I had all these relationships and all these issues and because none of it was true. It was all an illusion and it was a, some sort of a trick or a game that comes with coming into the material world, coming into earth as a person. So I'm flying along and these orbs are all around me, these stars, these colored, wonderful things. And everything was acceptance and love and joy and like a homecoming. Like I was parading through this, through this group. And as I was flying along for a while, I'm thinking, this is awesome. I made it, you know, and all of a sudden I landed. I landed in a place that was solid. It was real, it was had indirect lighting. There were tables there and equipment and there were beings there. And right in front of me were these three short little dumpy guys in these dark robes and with hoods. And I could see parts of their faces and they were smiling from ear to ear. Their eyes were bright and they were asking me all kinds of questions and they were giggling and I was very confused and if they you want to know what they look like i saw this a picture of this movie communion and so i watched the movie this was years ago and those dark little elf looking guys that christopher walken is hanging with in a spaceship or whatever they're portraying there they looked exactly like that except they were super good natured playful mischievous and they had big smiles on their face and their eyes were bright and they were saying a lot of personal things. Like, how was it? What can you tell us? What did you learn? And one of them looked 
looked at me and he turned to the other two and he said, he doesn't remember us. And they all started giggling. And I was thinking, I kind of remember you guys, but I'm having a little trouble here. And then there was this other guy and he was kind of in charge. He was this tall, wispy guy, like a kind of a trimmed down Gumby or one of those cactus. And he looked like he was made out of vapor or mist or something. And when he walked, it was like I was looking at somebody underwater. He was, parts of them were separating and then catching up. And it was very strange. And he smiled from ear to ear and he had the brightest eyes. And when he came close to me, my chest expanded and my throat constricted. And I thought I was going to burst into uncontrollable crying. And I know now what that was about. So this tall, wispy guy, he was he was kind of in charge, but it wasn't like he was doing his job because everything was sort of mischievous. Everyone was just sort of bouncing around. And when he came close to me, and like I said, my chest expanded, my throat was constricted, and I felt like I was going to burst into uncontrollable crying from love. There was so much love coming from this being that it was overwhelming. And so there wasn't that much going on there. It was, oh, I wanted to say this, that, you know, I never really understood women when you go to a, a kid graduating from kindergarten and the mothers are crying in the audience and stuff like that. And I never really understood that until after this near-death experience, because what's bringing them to tears is they, they have so much love in their hearts that they can't contain it. And it comes out in tears. And that's, that's the nature of human beings. So if you are brought to tears from something rooted in love, I think you're an advanced soul because that, that true you is coming right through. So there wasn't much going on there. They, it wasn't very organized. The three guys were giggling and bouncing around and the, the tall wispy guy was just kind of chuckling and smiling. And at one point I said, well, I'm not going back there. So you guys want to get on with the, you know, what are we going to do, a review of my life? Is that what's next? And the tall wispy guy just laughed. He just chuckled, it was the deepest laugh I've ever heard. And he said, sure, let's do that. How do you, how do you want to start? And I thought, this is, this is weird. This is not what it's supposed to be. And so anyway, I told a few stories, nothing, no big regrets. Just a, a couple of things. There was a park ranger job on an island. My wife wanted me to take it. We would have been on an island by ourselves for the summer. And I took this other job. So I, I thought it would be nice if I would have taken that job. But that's the only thing that came up. And he said, okay, that's enough. Time to go back. And I was like, go back? I'm like, dude, no way, I am not going back. What are you talking about? I'm here. And he said, nope, you got things to do. And you're going back. And the three little guys, they just, it's like they were reassigned. They just disappeared off to some other place in this, in this facility, whatever it was. And he came forward towards me and said, time to go back. And I said, you know, I had to, I had to try. So I said, hey, look, boss, the only people who are gonna really miss me is my wife and my parents. And they'll be sad for a couple weeks. 
but they'll get over it. They're strong people. They will persevere. And he thought that was funny. And he said, nope, you're going back. And just like that, the place just started to dematerialize. Parts of it were breaking up like I was going to another channel. And I do believe that all of our perceived reality in other dimensions, it's all channels. It's all frequencies. You have completely different realities right here, all around us, right here and right now. And so I felt a, a descending. I think it was a drop in frequency. That was a definite descending feeling. And he just sort of evaporated. And I dropped away into darkness. And I got down near my body. And just before I went back in my body, I was at this place that really scared me. And I didn't want to admit that for years, but I figured people should know there is a place that we don't want to hang out. And it's very close to where we are now in the physical. And it was lonely and it was dismal. And yeah, you don't want any part of that. And after that, I was back in my body. And a few hours later, I woke up and I noticed the equipment. I was hooked up to all this equipment. I noticed the equipment, the blood pressure was starting to climb and it was in the, was like 44 over zero or something. I could be awake for a little bit and then I'd be out again. And I just kept waking up and looking at that and the numbers kept going up and it was in the sixties and, and it was in the seventies and a nurse came by and she said, you're awake. And I said, I need to talk to you. She goes, I, got, I need to tell the doctor. We, you've been on, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen with you. And I said, okay, but first, I go, what am I doing back here? I was home. I was with my best friend, my brothers I'd known forever. How is it that I got back here? And she was one of these old tough nurses. And she said, honey, oh, and I said, I thought I bought the farm. I was sure of it. And she said, honey, you were in escrow, but you fell out. And now you're back with us and you're going to have to get over it. And I thought that was pretty good. But I was pretty depressed for a few days, not clinically depressed like some people suffer from, but sad, sad to be back. And and it, you could feel it slipping away. You could feel that it was, it was going to fade. And pretty soon you could talk yourself out of that it even happened. And I told everybody, everybody I knew, I said, hey, there is nothing ever to worry about with this death thing. It's a joke. We've got it, we've got it completely backwards. It's an absolute 10 million percent upgrade instantly. So some guys would come to me if they lost a child or a parent and they were struggling. And I'd tell them that exact thing. I, I said, nobody died. We've just slipped out of the physical and we've gone home. Because when I left my body, when through all those things, I was still me. And this is a stretch for people. I was still me at my core. I had the same kind of mischievous sense of humor. I had this, you know, the, the mental talk that goes on in our heads. It was, I was still me. It was a flawless change. I just crossed over. I was still me and I was somewhere else. So. I guess the point I'm saying is all of us who've lost, you know, we've all lost people we love. And it's the worst thing that happens to us in this life. And we haven't lost, we've never lost anybody. 
We've never lost our pets. They're all right here. They're right, they're right next to us. So yeah, after a while, I was telling the guys the fire department and stuff. And after a couple of weeks, yeah, you know, I, I heard Tony Woody recently. He's the Navy chief who had a, a near crash in a P3 Orion, I think it was. And he said that a, a officer came by and said, you better stop telling this story. And that's exactly what happened to me. It was just a slight thing. It was a, a coworker. He said, hey, dude, just so you know, people are starting to talk about you. And I'm like, you know, here's the most wonderful news anybody, any person could ever hear throughout history. And I got to stow it away somewhere. So I zipped it and I dummied up for 15 years. So in 2010, I was this retired, happy retired guy running around here in the Central Coast and doing all kinds of things. And in the afternoon, I'd usually, you know, put a movie on or something while I'm watching lunch. And this movie came on that was recommended on Netflix, how, you know, how it comes up and says, you should watch this. And I'm like, what is this? And it was called DMT, The Spirit Molecule. And so I'm like, I don't watch drug movies, you know, no way. But I put it on. And I really liked the, the guy, Rick Straussman. I liked the way he told about his process of putting these volunteers through this DMT, dimethyltryptamine. And what that does is it simulates death. It stimulates the pineal gland, the third eye, and it mocks death by putting DMT into the system and splashing the, the brain with this DMT. It's the same thing that happens to us naturally and the soul is rocketed out of the body. So I watched this video and I thought, well, that's interesting. And about a week later, something came up and I said, you should buy this book. And it was DMT, the spirit molecule. So I just watched the video and I bought the book. I've never done anything like that before. And the book came and it sat around for a little while. And then I read it, I started reading it. And when I got to chapter 13, 14, and I think even 15, it's called Beyond the Veil or Contact Through the Veil. And it talks about Rick Straussman's 70 volunteers, how many of them came back and talked about seeing these three shorter hooded guys and this taller, wispier guy who was in charge and how it was light and how it was completely ridiculous experience. They weren't ready for it and that, you know, that these were non-physical living beings with personalities. And when I, I read through that, it took me back to my 94 experience, which had pretty much been put away. And it shocked me. I mean, I put the book down and I walked around for a week and I said, okay, you, you have to sort this out somehow. And I walked around for a week going, what is going on? I thought I had this whole, you know, reality figured out. I was, you know, late 50s. And the whole thing was, was around the DMT and it everything points back, points to the shamans who make this brew called ayahuasca. And, you know, I'm, I'm into a lot of natural, you know, we grow our own food and stuff like that. So I'm in natural things and I'm like, I need to go down to Central America and find a legitimate shaman and drink this ayahuasca. And I wasn't in any hurry. I wanted it to be right. I wanted it to feel right. I wanted the trust and the familiarity to be there. And 
So I just started getting on planes and flying down to Costa Rica and staying for weeks and months and driving around. And I drove all around, stayed in lots of different places and ended up in this place called Nasara. It's like a beach town, a surf town. And I hung out there and one day the lady who ran this, it was like a hotel, it was little casitas in the jungle. I was up in the office doing something and they were taking a list. I go, what's that list for it? And they said, well, we've got this shaman coming to town. And it's kind of a hush-hush thing. And his name is Taito Juanito and he's, he's completely legitimate. And, you know, it was like, I don't know, 80, 90 bucks. And we're gonna have a ceremony where you drink the ayahuasca and you stay up all night and you go through this thing where you cross the veil. And I said, this is something I'm supposed to be doing. And this was two or three years later after I was going down there often. And so we, we set that up and I got on the list and there was a couple of dozen of us that were out in the, the jungle and you show up at the dark, you get your bed ready and you have a bucket you're gonna throw up in, you're gonna purge in. And the shamans show up about 9.30 or so, they do their thing for a while and then the ceremony starts 10, 10.30, you drink the ayahuasca. It's an amazing ceremony. It's very powerful. The shaman looks at you individually very powerfully and apparently he can see what you need. And I got my drink, it was a large cup of ayahuasca. These guys are from Colombia. They are a no-nonsense group, Taitoanito and all of his guys that help him. So I drank it and nothing's gonna happen for about an hour and then it's gonna kick in. And the, the whole time I was, I went back and laid down on my thing, on my, my little bed next to my bucket and was chatting with the people around me. And I was pretty convinced that nothing was gonna happen, that it was just folklore. And, you know, I was giving it a good try. Anyway, at somewhere around that hour, all of a sudden the, the ceiling on the pavilion outside that we were under, it just sort of pulled away. And there was this huge spiral, looked like a DNA strand just taken off into space. And there was all these lights coming from different places and they were streaming down and they were hitting me and you did not want to look away. It was absolutely incredible experience. Never seen colors like that before. And I was feeling, you know, like I was uncomfortable with that. So I kept trying to like avoid it. And so you, if you stirred or moved around, you could get it to fade. And at the same time, I was feeling this, like I was, something was punching me in the stomach and in my ribs and stuff like that. It was like these hard punches. And I learned later that what the shamans will tell you is that the ayahuasca goes in and it takes all the negative energy that we've accumulated and we're storing in our lungs and our liver, et cetera, and our stomach. And it brings it all to the stomach. And then you purge that energy. And I think the reason for that is and that's when you that's when you throw up and i think the reason for that is that energy if you're going to travel into other realms where the heaviness of this place does not is not allowed you have to purge that energy from you in order to make that transition 
to make that change. And after a while, I kind of lost what was going on and I woke up over my bucket and I was purging and it sounded like a roaring jet engine. It was just this roaring sound, mostly air came out and I saw this bluish black cloud of something. It just came out of me, it hit the bucket and then it kind of went over the bucket and it went out onto the pavilion floor and it was moving across the floor. And it was this purplish bluish black cloud, like gel or liquid, but not of this earth or this dimension. And I, that blew my mind. And I looked around at my friends and I said, what is happening? and they couldn't see it, but the shaman saw it and he told one of his attendants to sweep it out into the jungle, take palm frond and sweep this area out into the jungle away from others. And I know that's hard to believe, but one of the things I've learned, one of the things that I've been saying lately when I speak at Ions and things is that a lot of these secrets, these ancient secrets of what we really are, they're in our movies. They're in our Hollywood movies. And if you ever watch the movie, The Green Mile, where the big black guy, he's condemned to death, but he has this ability to pull this bad energy out of people to, to heal them. That's what a shaman is doing. They're, a healing ceremony is pulling out that, that heavy energy that we have no idea. We can't even begin to start considering it as a possibility, but it's absolutely true. And that's what the shamans are doing. And that's, I think that's what that movie, that the Green Mile, what that star was portraying, that this is a really a part of us, a part of all of us. So anyway, there's four things that can happen to you when you drink ayahuasca. Nothing is one. You sit there all night and watch some people do some funny things and nothing happens at all. And and number two is you see the grids and the grids are all around us. It's like we're in this hologram, this simulation and the grids are sort of holding it together. And I see the grids all the time now, but yeah, they're at angles and it's kind of holding this reality together that we all collectively are having this experience in. And so the third thing that you can see is you'll see a movie and you'll see parts of your life or things that haven't happened yet. You'll either watch the movie or you'll watch it and be in it, but you'll see this, this play playing out all around you. And the fourth thing that happens is you go into the pit and in the pit is where this self, the material world self image that we believe we are, that's where that guy takes a beating and it went on for three or four hours. I was just in a world of hurt. And it was just, I just felt fear and anxiety. It was just coming in waves. Every four or five seconds, there was a new wave. And it's a heck of an evening. So with, with, with ayahuasca, when you drink ayahuasca, the way we're constructed is we have the left brain and we have the right brain. The right brain is connected to creativity. We've all heard this, it's music and art and flow pure love flow. And then the left brain is connected here. And that's facts and figures and, and who I am and opinion on this. And I'm not going to stand for that. And that sort of person is the left brain. 
And that person, we've been that person 100% of the time in our lives. And what ayahuasca does is it flips that brain and the right brain is now driving and the left brain, you, is tied and gagged and thrown in the back for a few hours. You step out of this person that you're absolutely convinced you are. Read your resume, look at your work history, look at your driver's license. But in reality, we're these huge, we're these amazing expanded beings, energetic beings. And we're, we're here having fun in these containers, in these personalities. And with ayahuasca, you're going to bounce between those. You're going to go through the soul and the higher self. You're going to see all these things and you absolutely won't know what's going on. It takes weeks, months to process. But that's what the pit is. And the shamans will tell you if they have 20, 25 people, three or four of them will go in the pit. And I went in the pit and I know who the other three, we all got together afterwards. and. The shamans will tell you they come for the people that go into the pit because that you're going to make this incredible transition in your perception of this life and of you. I have a true understanding of that you are this temporary personalities and you've had thousands of them and you don't need to stand up for yourself. You don't need to argue or fight with anybody ever. So anyway, that's what went on with the ayahuasca as the day, as the evening ended. It came back to start playing music and they, they bring fruit and stuff. 